So good morning. Just read a book called, I think it's pronounced a paragon. You look at it, it's A-P-I-E-R. And the book is by Colm, uh, I think it's McCann. And it's hard to talk about. And it's hard to read and very useful. It's a, a real life event, a real, real people, but it's, you know, it's fictionalized. But he obviously did a lot of research. There are two men. One is Israeli and one is Palestinian Muslim. And each of them lost a young daughter to violence. The uh, Palestinian girl, Amir, was shot in the back of the head with a rubber bullet by a young soldier. And Spadra, the Israeli girl, the Jewish girl, was blown up by a suicide bomber. And the two men become friends and they become spokesmen for peace and for finding a way to talk to each other. And this really happened and they really, I don't know if they're still alive, but they, they certainly did exist. And they go all over the world talking to anybody who's willing to listen. They, uh, there's excerpts and I'm sure the excerpts are, are you know, probably from tapes of their actual talks. I don't know. The Palestinian is saying Bassam, and there's a passage that's him talking to APAC, which is, if you know anything about APAC, it's very surprising. That's the more, that's the quite orthodox, not necessarily like, well, I don't know how any of these, not like Hasidic necessarily, but pretty orthodox and pretty conservative Jewish organization as compared to something called the J Street Project, should you be interested in such things, which is a much more liberal Jewish organization. I, I, they're Zionists, but they're not, they're not full of hate. At any rate, he even spoke to APAC, which if you don't know their politics, it's not surprising, but if you do, it is surprising. At any rate, it's a lot of it is really detailed and that's part of why it's so hard to talk about. It's like, I can't, um, I mean, I just had a book group and we talked about it, but we weren't needing to describe things to each other. So I commend it to you. It does give a picture and not in, not in necessary detail, but it gives a picture of what it's like to be a Palestinian living near Jerusalem. Bassam, at the beginning, uh, lives in a uh, sort of a Palestinian enclave right next. It's like a Jew, it's like a, it's like a suburb to Jerusalem, maybe you could say. And towards the end, he lives in Jericho, which is um, on the Dead Sea.
But just to get from one place to another is a huge problem. Sometimes pretty simple and sometimes not. There's a there's a path, section towards the end where he and Rima, the uh, Jewish man, are leaving have, leaving a meeting, and the uh, Jewish guy is riding his motorcycle, and he he stops, and Basam stops is behind him, and he stops, and the Jewish guy Rima says, "Your headlights out." Now that would ordinarily just be that's good to know, and you have to be careful to pass, you know, giving wide berth because people might assume from if you're behind them that you're a motorcycle. <laughs> but for Bassam, a Palestinian having to cross uh, the whole town, city, and go around it and whatever, uh, it's uh, it could be a matter of life and death at least jailing and beating. And you feel it, you know, because by that time in the book, you know what it's like for him. And luckily, he makes it through a checkpoint because they decide to search some guy uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it at the airport or anything. And I said, would you just come over here? And of course, there, that those are words of dread. And this car before him had something. He had, had a, a a plastic bottle of uh, laundry detergent in his trunk of his car. And they make him open it, and they sniff it, and it, sniffs, it smells like I don't know, tides, eh? and yet they pull him over and make him stop. And you know they're going to rip his car apart at the very least. But partly because of that, you know, it's like they, they got one. He just gets waved right through. And, and when you go to a checkpoint, apparently you just put, you douse your lights and just use your, um, what do you call it, the parking lights or whatever, the, you know, just the little ones. So they never know that he's missing a, a headline. But just the fear of it. And of course, there are places entering into Palestinian territory where Israelis are forbidden by Israeli law. And there are other places where there are signs up that says, um, to Israelis, it is dangerous for you to enter here. And I'll say one, one last thing. Somebody made a tape, a surreptitious tape of what the soldiers at checkpoints say to Palestinians waiting to get through and how they talk about them. You know, lift up your shirt, asshole. Look, a permit is a permit. It's expired. Just go back. Go on. Get out of here. But he's just a little bit, get out of here. And referring to them as animals and you name it. The thing is, it's hard to read. It's also easy to read. And it's fascinating just as a novel. One of the themes is A Thousand and One Nights. And, and he has 
sections are very small, some of them just one line, and some of them a page or two, and rarely more than that. And it goes upwards, or maybe up to 501, I don't remember, and then backwards to, to uh, one again. At any rate, just that fact that they, they, they both belong to something, they've both been in the army, and they both belong to something called Combatants for Peace, which I think is an organization that exists in Israel. I don't know if it's called that, but there, I've heard about that, the people that were in the military and are against the occupation. And uh, they also, they belong to something called the Parents Circle, which is just what it sounds like. It's people, both Israelis and Palestinians that have lost a child. Or maybe simply, yeah, has lost a child. Wait, it's very powerful that they can be human. And occasionally they talk about just making a little crack here and there. Just a little crack. And they never say that's how the light gets in. <laughs> Goodness. Just, you know, thinking about uh, what's going on in this country and the polarization. Um, you know, if these people can stop hating and begin to see each other as human beings, Hassan was in jail for three I think it was seven years, maybe. Anyway, for a long time in Israeli jail. And uh, one of the things they did, the, the Israelis did, was show them the movie Shoah. And he meant to enjoy it and enjoy watching Jews get killed. And instead it cracked him open and he began to realize, oh, these are people. He was 17 when he went in. And so he, he, he decided to study the Holocaust and he, he got a master's degree. And I, I don't know what exactly they called it. He actually went to England for, and uh, did graduate work. So these are, these are extraordinary people, but they're good teachers for us to remind us of the power of just listening, just talking, just seeing others as ourselves. Very, very powerful book. And it looks like it's 450 pages long, but there's lots of, um, I did it in almost it, virtually the whole thing in two days. Because I kept, I had trouble when I started it and I was part of that feeling, oh no. And finally I thought, I've got to read it. And then it actually went very quickly because there's so many big spaces. But it's still, it's, you know, maybe, maybe it's the, only the equivalent of 350 pages. It's a very powerful book. And uh, I commend it to you. I've learned a lot some of which I didn't, I didn't know. And I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm tempted to tell you some facts that are disturbing, but I think I'll spare you and hope you read it.
Oh, rubber bullet. I was talking about a rubber bullet. That's not. Anyway, the one that on impact, it, um, you know, it sort of changes shape because it's rubber and the metal inside kind of takes over. But when it exits the body, it resumes its original shape. So you can use it over again. And that's why they're called Lazarus bullets. The Israeli army collects them when they, when they find them and uh, reuses them. Anyway, that's enough. Anyway, it just, it's just a very powerful reminder for me about the power of being available. And speaking your truth, I mean, when, when Bassam went to uh, APAC, he called it an occupation. When he, when he was announced, some people left. And then he, when he called it an occupate, called it the occupation, you could, he, he's, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was, you could feel it in the room, people's, you know, um, their bodies tightening in some ways, some feeling of what? No, the people left, I don't know. But when he finished, he ovation. And I think that's probably partly because he just tell they each they just tell their stories, and there there are two really long passages where it's it, I'm sure it's a transcript of the speech they usually give. You know when he's I am Basam, I was born, uh, I grew up in a cave in Hebron, and my ten year old daughter Amir was shot by an Israeli soldier and killed with a bullet to her back of her head. Just that. And then he goes on, talks about her and what a great kid she was and so on. And what it's like to not have her in his life. And I think that the detail is really useful. If you keep reading at any rate, you cannot turn away from it. And it becomes much more the the horror of it all for everybody, uh, not just Palestinians, but Israelis too. Becomes much more palpable, and and he, I just keep you know if they could talk to each other, I could talk to my cousins in the Midwest, surely, or listen to them. So it's a great reminder. One sweet detail is that when Rima and uh, Bassam get to their respective homes, they text each other and say, I'm home, brother. And it must be a relief, you know, so then you could go to sleep. So anyway, it's a really powerful reminder about what Bodhisattva practice really is. And, well, never mind, I wanted to, I hope you read. It's because I was just going to say something towards the very end, but I don't, I think I want to leave it. That shows that they're also uh, human. They're not saints. So, do you have any questions or comments? Yes? I'll just say that I, well, as a Jewish person, <laughs> I've never, I've never been to Israel, never planned to go don't have that much affinity to it. I have friends who live there and stuff, and a friend who's Israeli. But it seems like back in the beginning, 
well, when I was like in junior high, I think. It seemed more clear cut back then, you know, the Egyptians attacked Israel and Israel won and you could cheer, you know, kind of like the, well, feel good like they, but nowadays it's much more complicated and it's harder to root for it, <laughs> or it's hard to, for me at least. There's so many, you know, just some of the comments you made about how they would treat people coming across the checkpoint. You would think Israelis would be sensitive to being mistreated and all that, but it doesn't sound like it. So I guess maybe I'm saying Israel doesn't make me feel proud. But also, I'm interested to read the book. I have a couple on my list before that, but um, I can see the Buddhist connection there, that we're not separate. And it's a great, sounds like a great example of that in action. Yeah. Yeah. And Bassam really learned, he really did learn a lot about the Holocaust. And he had, you know, he had, so that he can see Rima's suffering and Rima can see his suffering. That part of was, kind you guys, <laughs> to the to the Israelis and the Palestinians. Don't you see? And you're both Semitic. You're like your brothers or cousins or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's a lot about the government now, but I don't want to go yeah. into that particular. Yeah. It's also one of the things that, that he touches on is the power of fear and the fear that has been exacerbated within the Israeli population by the governing folks and the governing media and so on and you don't even i don't know how much you guys know the haaretz is a sort of i don't know liberal newspaper of or was but you don't even hear much about haaretz anymore i don't know what i don't think i've changed what i read and stuff so i don't know anyhow it's very it's very it's very difficult and uh, and where what we're in is very different. Talk to each other. We can talk to each other. That's enough. Anybody else? Anything? Kate? I would just like to say in my own instance with people in my family, we sort of just agree. It's unspoken, but we just don't talk about that stuff. So I don't know. And most of the people I associate with are and see in my day-to-day -day life are of this fairly similar political and ideological as I am. So I don't have a lot of opportunity to say, although I guess even just being in contact with cousins I haven't seen in a long time and letting them see my life and me see their life helps in some way not to be so judgmental of their um, extreme <laughs> political. So that was just my comment. I wish there were more opportunities and I don't know how to create them. Yeah, well, it is hard. My sense is that what they did 
was they, they simply told their stories. You know, they didn't try to um, convince anybody of anything. I don't think they went and uh, railed against Netanyahu. They may have done it at home, but, but that's not kind of not what they were doing, I, I think. Just saying, you know, kind of really bearing their, their hearts and saying, here, here I am, I'm a human being. I have suffered because of our, of our uh, hostility to one another. And that's and then leave it at that and see what happens. I think that was my sense. Beings are, are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.